Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We are in our final week of a series called Connecting. And if you haven't been with this series, or maybe you forgot just to bring you up to speed, in the first week of May, we started this series. And we're talking about what it means for us to be connected with God. And in the first week, we talked about prayer, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gives us a blueprint for prayer and how we can stay connected to God in prayer. And then in week two, we talked about what it means for us to discern and to hear the voice of Jesus at work within our lives. And then we were planning to move on and do week three. Uh, the, The shooting happened here in Buffalo, and we said, we as a church need to talk about this. We need to talk about what is our response, who can we be, and what is God doing in the midst of all this. So we paused the series that week, and we picked the series back up last week. And Pastor Kevin Wright shared with us on connecting with God in seasons of pain. If if you heard that message or were here for that, didn't Kevin like do an awesome job last week? You can he's not even here, but we can make some noise for him. I was really thankful for everything that he shared and what God had placed on his heart and how God brought all of that together. And we're going to wrap up the series connecting this week. And we're going to be going back to the idea of hearing the voice of Jesus. Uh, because Jesus said this in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He goes on to say that they, 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 we can know his voice. And if you're a part of the church, if you're a follower of Christ, this is a really cool reality that we can hear the voice of Jesus, that he is living and active and that he's speaking into our lives. But it can also be if we're just shoot straight with one another, it can be a little frustrating sometimes. Have any of you been in a spot before where you really wanted to hear the voice of Jesus, but you felt like he wasn't speaking? Anybody been there before? You felt like, what, what's going on right now? I can't, I can't really hear him right now. Or have any of you been in that spot before where you are really looking to hear from Jesus and then you run into a friend and this person, it's like they hear from Jesus every single day and you're thinking, why is he always talking to you, but he's never talking to me? What could possibly be going on right now? This is very, very frustrating. Or you know what's happened for me before is certain practices I felt like really worked for me in hearing his voice. Like, oh, if I journal, you know, it really helps. And I think through that and pray about that and then read, and then I can hear his voice. And then all of a sudden that practice that worked for you for a period of time, it's not working for you the same way that it used to. And you're like, is he trying to change up my spiritual life a little bit? But you're like, ah, this is, it, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes. It can be a little bit frustrating. You'd say, oh, I know I'm, I'm one of his sheep. And he says he speaks, but sometimes I feel like I'm having a difficult time hearing his voice. And what's been interesting with this series is each message could spawn off into an entire series itself. We could talk for weeks about different reasons why we don't always hear the voice of Jesus or, or things that could be happening with that. But this week, I just want us to focus on our end of the conversation. What are things that you and I could be doing that could potentially be keeping us from hearing the voice of Jesus? And I want to go back to something I said a few weeks ago that I don't think that there's necessarily a three-step or a four-step or a five-step process. And if you do this process, you will be guaranteed to hear from the voice of Jesus every single time. Because that would get us wrapped up in like some type of religious incantation or structure that doesn't work for everybody. And I don't really think that's how Jesus works. He recognizes that every single one of us is different. And so all of us can respond differently at times to when and how he speaks into our lives. But what I do want us to focus on is the character of the voice of Jesus. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the character of his voice will always be consistent. It will always be the same. But the ways in which he communicates to each of us could be a little bit different. But now, what are things that you do? What are maybe some things that I do that keep us from hearing his voice? 
And, I, and we're going to examine today uh, some principles that are laid out in a book that I would highly recommend. It's not necessarily a spiritual book. It's actually a, a more of a business book. It's called Think Again. And the author's name is Adam Grant. And I love the way Adam Grant thinks. And, and in the book Think Again, he's proposing this idea of how we as humans can be better listeners, how we can better listen to one another. And he lays out all these different concepts in the book of where we have difficult times listening and, and how we can be better at when we engage in a conversation, truly listening and not just listening to respond. I would say very helpful book. And he lays out a few different concepts in the book that I think that they aren't just helpful for how we communicate with others, but they could actually be helpful for how we communicate with God. That there are times when we find ourselves in some of these areas that he identifies in the book, and they could actually be keeping us from hearing the voice of Jesus. So we're going to talk about a few different concepts. The first concept we're going to get to in just a moment is called preachers, prosecutors, and politicians. The second concept is called the armchair quarterback. And the third concept that we're going to look at is called imposter syndrome. I mentioned imposter syndrome briefly a couple months ago. I received more feedback on that than anything I've ever said before. So many people were reaching out to me and saying, I've really struggled with imposter syndrome. And I thought, well, we should, we should spend a little bit more time talking about that then if that's something that people feel that they struggle with. But first, I want us to talk about preachers, prosecutors, and politicians. You'll see that up on the screen if you're taking notes. And I'm going to read to you Grant's description of preachers, prosecutors, and politicians in just a moment. But before that, I want us to prepare our hearts and minds because sometimes when we hear descriptions of something like this, preachers, prosecutors, politicians, it's going to be really easy to identify, oh, I know a preacher. Well, you know me. But it's going to be easy to say, I, I know a prosecutor or I know a politician. It's going to be really easy to identify these characteristics in someone else. But we have to have the humility to say, where could I be functioning as one of these types of people. Let me read this to you. You might even find some of this funny. He said, we get into preacher mode when our sacred beliefs are in jeopardy. We deliver sermons to protect and promote our ideals. We enter prosecutor mode when we recognize flaws in other people's reasoning. We marshal arguments to prove them wrong and win our case. We shift into politician mode when we are seeking to win over an audience. We campaign and lobby for the approval of our constituents. The risk is that we become so wrapped up in preaching that we are right, prosecuting others who are wrong, and politicking for support that we don't bother to rethink our own views. Once again, we all probably know somebody that we would put in one of these categories. There are certain people you know not to bring up certain subjects around them. You, before having a family gathering, may even huddle the family around and say, please don't bring this up around so-and-so because they will preach and preach and preach and they will not stop talking about it. And I just don't want to hear them talk about that anymore. They will find ways to bring it up. And you have to be creative and think of how you can shut down the conversation so that they don't bring it up. We know these people. They will just go on and on. We know prosecutors, people who will try to cut you down and make you feel worse or make you feel stupid or make you feel dumb about the way you think. We know politicians, people who you really never know what they actually think about anything, but they're just trying to win over a group in a room. I, I've been in each one of these categories before. Preacher, that's pretty obvious. I do that every week. That's why I have to send, I send my messages to Neil to, to check them and, 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 and I try to you know, be open to feedback because I, I want to ensure that this, what we talk about here is about building the kingdom and not my own kingdom. Because as you get in preach, it's so easy to start to push your own ideals and it's like, no, this is, this is not about me, this is about him. And in prosecuting, I, I, I feel as if I don't struggle with this one as much as I used to, but I still find myself here at times and I was here a lot 
about you know, 10 years ago or, or eight, eight to 10 years ago when I was in my early 20s, late teens, and I was a good young Christian man and I knew all the answers to everything because you know I had, a, I had a verse for it, I had a verse for that, I have a verse for that, I had a verse for that. And so when you have a verse for everything, it's just easy to prosecute everybody who's wrong all the time and tell them, you're a sinner, you're wrong. I was like, wait, no, that's really not the approach of Jesus. And so it was just easy to prosecute all the time. Or politicking. I, I, I still struggle with this one to this day. I'll be preparing a message and I'll think to myself, okay, how do I say this in such a way that people who come to News Story that maybe are a little bit more traditional in their Christian faith don't get too upset? Or how do I say this in such a way that people who are maybe a little bit more progressive in their Christianity don't get too upset? How do I package it nicely? It's like, I shouldn't be thinking about that. I should be thinking about just presenting what Jesus has in store. But this, these are things that we, I struggle with, and I imagine you have as well. You could probably identify in conversations when you've been a preacher. You could probably identify in conversations when you've been a prosecutor. You could probably identify when you've been politicking for the approval of others. And this directly applies to our conversations with Jesus as well. Because how often do we step into our prayer life or into a conversation with Jesus, and instead of listening to him, we preach at him about what we think he should be doing? How often do we prosecute him for not doing what we think he should have done? How often do we find ourselves politicking to him, trying to justify actions and behavior that we know are not appropriate actions or behavior, but we're just trying to get him over on our side? Hey, Jesus, come on. You know you're with me on this, right? And you know he's not. But it's easy to do. And once again, I, I don't want to, as we've said here before, a news story, it's okay to question. We want to encourage questioning. We want to encourage people wrestling with their faith. We, faith. we see that with the psalmist time and time again. But there's this tension that we exist in of, has this become a habitual prosecution of your relationship with Jesus or habitual preaching towards him as opposed to occasionally listening to him as well? And if we, in our relationship with Jesus, too often find ourselves either preaching, prosecuting, or politicking with him, we might find that we're actually closing ourselves off to the voice of Jesus. In fact, I would make the contention that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus stepped onto the pages of human history, that the people who opposed the movement of Jesus, they were constantly preaching, prosecuting, or politicking around Jesus. They were preaching to Jesus about why he was, what he was doing was wrong. You can't heal someone on the Sabbath, Jesus. Don't you know the law? You can't do that. They're preaching at him. They, they, were, they literally ended up prosecuting him. I mean, this, this ended up happening. And they would politic around him. They wouldn't answer certain questions sometimes because they didn't want to upset this group or that group. And you know what Jesus said about these people who were preaching, prosecuting, and politicking around him all the time? Look at this in Matthew chapter 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull with their ears. They're, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. He says, their hearts have become dull. Some of your translations say their hearts have become hardened. And I, and I just wonder if sometimes that difficulty that I have in hearing Jesus in moments of my life or that difficulty that you've had in hearing the voice of Jesus, if maybe it's because you've been trying to preach or prosecute or politic around him instead of just being open to, saying what, to hearing what it is that he has to say. 
whether it's difficult or uplifting, whether it's encouraging or whether it's correcting. Sometimes we just want to close up and preach, no, Jesus, this is what you should be doing or prosecuting. Jesus, how dare you not do this? Or, or politic random, Jesus, I, I actually want you to do this instead. And there is always a tension there. There's a tension of wrestling with your faith that's appropriate, that's necessary. But has the wrestling ever developed into just straight preaching at him? We have to have discernment there. Because Jesus then goes on to say this. He said, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. So he says to his closest followers, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. You are blessed when you respond to Jesus and hear what it is that he's saying. The first identifier, the voice of Jesus that I want us to point out today is this is that the voice of Jesus is for open hearts, open eyes, and open ears. The voice of Jesus is for open hearts, open eyes, and open ears. And maybe, just maybe, what's been getting in the way of you hearing from Jesus is you've been trying to conform Jesus to say what you want him to say, and he's been trying to say something else, but you haven't had open, an open heart and op- open eyes or open ears. He wants to open your heart to say stuff to, into your life that, that you maybe never even could have come up with on your own. He wants to open your eyes to see things that you never could see apart from his power. He wants to open your ears to learn, to listen, to grow with him, and to grow with others. To not have dull hearts and closed off hearts, but to have open heart and open eyes and open ears. Second concept that Grant talks about is the armchair quarterback. We all know armchair quarterbacks. We've all probably been in a place where we have been an armchair quarterback. An armchair quarterback is a person who thinks that they know more about something than what they actually know, aka social media. Time and time again, we see people posting their opinions and thoughts about things that, oh, I know, I know, I could solve this overnight. Oh, great. Well, then maybe you should do more about it than just posting about it. But either way, the, 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 the academic term for armchair quarterback is the Dunning-Kruger effect. The two guys, uh, Dunning and Kruger, who did a study together, and they found that we as humans have a tendency to overestimate our knowledge about things. Uh, Grant Grant said it this way. He said, in the original Dunning-Kruger studies, people who scored the lowest on tests of logical reasoning, grammar, and sense of humor had the most inflated opinions of their skills. On average, they believed they did better than 62% of their peers, but in reality outperformed only 12% of them. The less intelligent we are in a particular domain, the more we seem to overestimate our actual intelligence in that domain. In a group of football fans, the one who knows the least is most likely to be the armchair quarterback prosecuting the coach for calling the wrong play and preaching about a better playbook. Now, I'm not talking about casual fandom. We all like to just sit around sometimes and say, oh, I wish they would have ran that play or that play. Or, or, or we all like to occasionally, after, after watching a Bills game, uh, have a little bit of discussion of what we would have liked to see done differently. Or, or, you know, there are passionate fans as well who are just really passionate. I'm talking about that person who we all know who you're like, I can maybe watch one game a season with this person because the entire three hours, they think that they're Sean McDermott. They think that they should be Sean McDermott. And they just know everything that the team should be doing. And, you know, this is a bit exhausting to be watching the game with you right now. We all know these people. In fact, I would almost make the argument that we're kind of a society that is built on this concept of armchair quarterbacking. 
We love armchair quarterbacks. Once again, social media, it's pretty clear. We love the armchair quarterback situations. But think about it this way. We love sports analysts. Now, don't get me wrong. Some sports analysts used to be professional athletes. They used to be coaches. But we love analysts who've never done anything professionally in sports, but they know exactly what every professional athlete should be doing. We love political analysts who have never served in public office, but they can tell you exactly what every politician should be doing. We, 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 I have countless conversations with people, and I'm guilty of this as well from places that I've worked at. Isn't it funny how we all know what the boss should be doing? We all know how the organization should be ran. We all know what should be happening, but we've never been in that role before. It's interesting. It's really quite interesting. We, we're like a society built on armchair quarterbacks. We all have an opinion on what things, how things actually should be going, what actually should be happening right now. And once again, I think this is something that we see within our faith journey. We love to armchair quarterback Jesus and tell him what he should be doing and how he should be doing it. So for armchair quarterback and imposter syndrome, I want us to take a closer look at Peter. I've come to the conclusion, I think Peter's my favorite character in the scriptures because he comes up a lot in my messages. And it's just, and we're actually doing a series in 1 Peter starting next week. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be really good. Uh, but Peter... In this one situation, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. This is what I have to do. And look at what Peter says to Jesus. Look at this. Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. Just a little side note, the voice of Jesus will correct you. The voice of Jesus will correct me sometimes. The voice of Jesus will correct us. But I love this. Peter, hey, hey, Jesus, um, we need to have a conversation, Jesus, because I know you're the son of God. I know you've been doing all these great miracles, but this whole thing about your death and resurrection, Jesus, you can't do this. It doesn't make any sense. Peter, you are not the son of God. <laughs> Peter, you were, you were a fisherman not too long beforehand. But he's armchair quarterbacking Jesus and telling him, Jesus, no, you can't do this. This is not how things are supposed to go. This is not how things are supposed to be. You need to do something else, Jesus. I know better. And I, and I wonder how many of us, we get wrapped up in armchair quarterbacking Jesus, and that's the reason why we haven't heard from him in quite some time, because he's not fitting into the construct that we think he should fit into. Whether you like it or not, you've been given some type of faith construct. Some of you, you're new to faith. Maybe New Story is your first church. You're being, you're being given a faith construct, a new story of how to view Jesus and, and view faith. And we have to recognize that and, ha and walk with humility in that to the best of our ability. But some of you, 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 you were at some type of space before New Story. And we all, like for me, I was raised in some Pentecostal circles. I was trained in a, in a fundamental Baptist area in some way. So I had some of that with me as well. And so th that was a bit of a construct that I was given and trained in. My seminary gave me some different constructs as well. Some of you, you might come from a more Baptist construct. You might come from a more Catholic construct. You might come from a more Methodist construct or a Wesleyan one or a Presbyterian one or a Lutheran one. But within that construct, you were given kind of ideas of this is how God works. And when you start operating within that construct, I've noticed what we have a tendency to do within our limited understanding at times is we close ourselves off to the voice of Jesus because what he's trying to do in our lives is not fit the construct we were given. And so he's saying something and then we start saying, oh no, that couldn't be you because it's not fitting my construct right now. 
Jesus, no, 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 no. Somebody will come to you and say, hey, I received a vision from Jesus and it actually aligns with the character of Jesus and the nature of Jesus. But you think, no, visions are not within my construct of how God speaks to people, so it couldn't be him. So you'll close it off. Or, or maybe you're someone who you thought, oh, within faith, I just always have prosperity and goodness all the time, but now you're in a season of suffering and difficulty, and, but, and God's trying to speak to you in that season of suffering to show you something, but you're closing off his voice because you're like, oh, I know this doesn't reconcile with my view of faith, but you're forgetting that James chapter one says, find joy in your trials of various kinds. And we close ourselves off to the voice of Jesus because it doesn't fit our construct. <laughs> And he wants to break your construct wide open. He wants to show you that there are so many different ways that he wants to communicate with you. There are so many different ways that he can connect with you. He wants to show you that he is moving in the world in ways that you never even possibly could have seen or imagined before. But, oh, it doesn't fit my construct, it doesn't fit this. And I think here's what we have a tendency to do. We've made something primary that, that maybe should be secondary. And what we've made primary is this, is we're always trying to figure God out. Here's how God works. Here's what God operates. Here's what God does. And those are really good conversations to have. We have conversations about that all the time at New Story. We did a whole series on the Father back in January. So, so that's a good conversation to have. But I think sometimes we make that primary. What actually should be primary is just simply following him. Just follow him. Just follow him. And yes, we can then have those more nuanced and detailed conversations of, oh, do you think we have free will or do you think he chooses people? Or, you know, do you, do you think he's more so speaking through his word or through his spirit? How's he doing this right now? We can have those conversations, but we think that the primary thing to do is to figure him out. But the primary thing is just to simply follow him. Instead of always trying to figure him out, maybe we should just follow him. Because after Peter tries to armchair quarterback Jesus, Jesus responds with some of his most powerful words, and he said this. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus let us know that true life is discovered when our life is lost and wrapped up within his life. That when we are surrendered to him and just simply following him. Yes, we can have conversations about trying to figure him out, but if that becomes primary, then we might not be actually following him. We might just be stuck in our faith and trying to get him to fit into a construct. And he's saying, let me break that construct for you because I'm going to do things far beyond, you could ever ima- far beyond what you could ever imagine or think or see within your own understanding. The voice of Jesus, as he invites us to take up our cross and follow him, we could say that the voice of Jesus invites you to surrender. The voice of Jesus invites you to surrender. I know that word surrender could have some different connotations with it, depending on what your faith upbringing was, but I want to use it within this context today. The voice of Jesus invites you to surrender the pressure of having to know everything all the time. You don't have to live under the weight and the pressure of always having to have an answer. And I tell you as a pastor, I get so tempted with that sometimes when people come to me with something. I got to have an answer. I got to think of something. I got to have a response. And God's been teaching me, sometimes you just got to listen and surrender this whole situation to me and follow me and you'll see what I'm doing in it. But we get so caught up in, I got to know what God is doing and how he's working. I got to know, no, 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 no. So I got to have an answer. But if we just surrender and follow him, the voice of Jesus invites you to surrender. You no longer have to live under the pressure of always having to have an answer. You no longer have to live under the weight of always having to have a response to everything. 
sometimes the response is this, listen and follow. Listen and follow. Surrender to him, take up your cross, and trust that he is working and doing something. He invites us to surrender. We don't have to correct, oh, this, this, that. Let him break your construct and just follow him. Thirdly, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is this complex idea that uh, you might have a role or you might have a a certain part of, of your identity of who you are that you know to be true, but you almost feel like a phony. You might feel unworthy or unqualified. Maybe, maybe you're in a relationship, but your relationship doesn't feel the same as what some other people's relationships look like on social media. So you think to yourself, am I actually in a relationship? Yes, you are. You are. You have another, but, but it doesn't look like that. Maybe you're a parent and you're not parenting your kids the same way that other people seem to be parenting their kids. Am I a real parent? Yes, you are. You have children in your household. Look after them, okay? But you are. But am I, I don't know. Maybe you had a, a new job and you got this promotion and, and now you are the manager. You have to call the shots, but you don't want to do the job the same way that your previous manager did. You have a raise and everything. You have the credentials, the, but you're, I don't really feel like I have this role right now. I feel like a phony. It just feels weird. But you've been told this is your role. And it's, this is something, and I, and I mentioned this a couple months ago, this is something that I, I struggle with in my role. I'll be at meetings with other pastors, and based off of the context of the conversation, I'll be thinking to myself sometimes, am I a real pastor? Because I I just don't, I don't know. Some of these guys, they seem way smarter than me. Some of them seem way more strategic than me. Some of them want to talk about certain political things way more than I do. It's like, I I don't feel like, do I belong? Like, and I'm like, wait, wait, we do have a church and people do show up. Um, and you know, they they for some reason listen to me preach. And I, you know, I do meet up with people and talk to them about God. So I I'm I you know I went to seminary, I, I think, and you know, I'm God, I'm pretty sure called me to this. So but I, there's this wrestling, this feeling. Is this really? Is this reality? And we we have this imposter syndrome that we can struggle with sometimes, and I'm sure that you've probably felt it before. Now just Real quick, before we get to the spiritual aspect of this, if you're struggling with imposter syndrome, maybe in your job or in your family or in a role you have in life, Adam Grant points out that there are actually three advantages to imposter syndrome. I'm going to give them to you quickly. The first one is this, is it will motivate you to work harder. It could motivate you to work harder if utilized properly. Like, I don't know if I fit. So you just start working harder, which leads to this. You work smarter because you start seeing things like a beginner. I don't know if I fit into this group, so you just, but you start seeing things differently than people who've been in the group forever. And lastly, you could be a better learner because you realize, I don't know if I fit or whatever, but, but you, you realize you have something to learn. So if you've been feeling this, utilize these strengths to work smarter, to learn more, to see things differently. But in a spiritual sense, you might know the truths that you've heard before that you're God's child, that you're a new creation in Christ, that you are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. You know this to be true, that you've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're, you're within, you're his child, you're adopted into his family. You know that's true, but it's, maybe something's happened so it doesn't always feel that way. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe it's something you've done. And you knew that you shouldn't do it. I just don't know if I feel, feel like, ah. Uh. And once again, as we look at Peter, 
I, as he didn't have the he did not have the language for imposter syndrome two thousand years ago. I imagine he probably felt some of the symptoms. Because there's another scenario where he says that Jesus, I will never deny you. And Jesus is like, yeah, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And after Peter denies Jesus three times, as Jesus is on his way to the crucifixion, look at how Matthew describes this. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He was probably weeping because of this internal wrestling of, I just denied Christ three times, the one I love, the one I've been following. You know, I, I thought I was his disciple, but am I really his disciple? Because I just denied him three times. Am I even worthy to be associated with him? Could I even possibly be associated with him? I imagine he started having some of these feelings and symptoms of imposter syndrome. Well, I know he called me to follow him, but if I'm not acting like his follower, where do I land in all of this? And then Jesus comes back from the grave, his resurrection, and he has this conversation with Peter. This personal conversation is recorded in John 21. And he doesn't push Peter away. He doesn't scold Peter. When Peter was in this low moment, probably wrestling with his identity and who he was and the decision that he had made in denying Christ three times, look at how Jesus addresses him in John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Peter became grieved the third time Jesus asked him. And I imagine he was feeling grieved because he was wondering, am I going to be confronted? Am I going to be called out? What could be happening here? And Jesus does something so beautiful here. He extends an act of forgiveness and drawing close to Peter, but he also restores Peter to a role and responsibility that he has for him. And, P and Jesus takes three denials and redeems them with three declarations of faith. D Jesus takes three rejections, and redeems them to giving Peter a new responsibility. Peter had denied Jesus three times, and now he declared three times that he loved Jesus. And each time Jesus looked at him and said, feed my sheep or tend my lambs, and, which is him saying to Peter, hey, Peter, because Jesus is the great shepherd of all of the sheep of his church, but he's asking Peter, hey, Peter, I want you to be a little shepherd within this kingdom as well and to shepherd and care for my sheep. I want you to share in the calling that even I have. So he's moving Peter forward. He's restoring Peter. He doesn't, just for, he doesn't just say, hey, Peter, you're forgiven and move on. He gives Peter a role. He gives Peter a call. He gives him a responsibility and he asks him to share in a similar responsibility that Christ himself had. What an honor. It's crazy. And as I grew up, in some Pentecostal churches, one of the words they used to always use was assignment. They would say, you have an assignment from God or you have an assignment from the Lord and embrace your assignment. And I thought, you know what? We just need to steal some of that language today and see this, that the voice of Jesus will affirm your assignment. 
that you have been given an assignment from God. There is something that he has placed on your life. There is a responsibility he has given you and he will affirm your assignment. If you've been in a moment like Peter where you know you've done something wrong, Jesus draws close to you and he will say, hey, shepherd my sheep, tend my lambs. I have something for you. He doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to fully restore you into the role and the call that he has for you. And he will affirm your assignment. He will not stiff arm you. He will not just push you away. He will draw close to you. Jesus initiates his conversation with Peter and he says, do you love me? And then he restores him and he affirms his assignment. Some people, you just need to hear that today because you've been wondering, am I in or am I out? How does this all work? And the voice of Jesus wants to speak clearly into your life, not just that you are forgiven, but that you are restored and you have a responsibility and he desires to affirm the assignment that he has placed on your life. Amen. There's an assignment that he's given you. There's an assignment that he has for his church and allow him to speak that into your life. So then Peter continues to talk with Jesus and Jesus lets Peter know something that's a little bit bleak and dark. He lets Peter know how he's going to die. He says this in John 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you, and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, when he, he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. When he'd spoken this, he said, follow me. The service is like, this is a little bleak. Why are we looking at this? Why are, we, why are we wrapping up the message on this this morning? Peter would have had this view of, because Peter ended up being crucified as Christ was, and from what history tells us, he would have been, he was placed on a cross and it was requested that his cross actually be placed upside down because he was not worthy to die in the same way that his Lord died. And so, in Jesus inviting Peter and saying, you'll be girded, your hands will be stretched out. It's actually Jesus inviting Peter once again to share in a similar calling to what Christ had to lay his, down life for, for, lay his life down for others. Paul talks about this, about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And so Peter would have almost viewed this as, as an honor, or dark and disturbing and, and difficult, but also in the same sense, living within this tension of, oh, wow, I get to share within uh, shepherding as Christ is the great shepherd. I get to share within his sufferings, to share within the call. And so he, he's inviting Peter into this. And we could, we could talk a lot about that, but what I was struck by for today's message was Jesus' last words to Peter here, where he looks at him and says, follow me. Follow me. The Peter who had walked on water at one point in time, got distracted and ended up singing. Jesus pulled him up. The, the Peter who tried to armchair quarterback Jesus and say, no, you shouldn't be doing this. The, the, the Peter who denied Jesus three times, Jesus looks at him and extends to him the same invitation that he had extended to him three years beforehand when he found him as a fisherman. Follow me. Jesus doesn't dwell on Peter's past. Jesus doesn't hold his past against him. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you know what? You can't follow me because of this. Jesus just says, follow me. 
And some things are going to happen that you don't always understand, Peter. Some things are going to happen that are going to be difficult, but I have a calling for you. I have an assignment for you. Follow me. And the last thing I want you to see about the voice of Jesus today is this, is the voice of Jesus always moves forward. The voice of Jesus always moves forward. He's always inviting us forward into a new life. He's always inviting us forward to simply follow him. So where do you find yourself today? Maybe you've been a preacher, a prosecutor, or a politician in talking with Jesus. Let that go today. The voice of Jesus is for open eyes, open hearts, and open ears. Maybe you've been trying to armchair quarterback him and tell him what he can and can't do and how he can and can't work in the world. And it's time to just surrender. You don't have to have the answer for everything. Just surrender. Take up your cross and follow him. Maybe you've been struggling and feeling like an imposter. I don't really know if I belong or if I'm in. And listen closely to the voice of Jesus who is affirming your assignment that you're not just forgiven by him, but you are then restored by him with a calling and a responsibility to do something for his kingdom. And then if you know something's happened in your past, accept his forgiveness. Let him restore you and build you up and move you forward and receive his invitation to follow him. The voice of Jesus is living and active. He's speaking today, inviting us into his kingdom work. All we have to do is pause 